The vicious voices of the right are out in full force, and it's time for us to get up and organize against the heartless attacks on our civil rights. Start your morning diving into the headlines and issues that matter to our everyday lives, speaking with changemakers and hearing from you, our listeners. Hear your host, Zerlina Maxwell, break down the top news, push for solutions from officials who represent us, and call out the misinformation and hypocrisy that surrounds us, plus the engaging stories that keep you energized. Get your morning boost of politics, culture, and everything you need to start your day. It's always darkest before the dawn, but the dawn is here. Shining a light on the ruthless forces across the aisle and rising for a brighter future for all of us. This is Mornings with Zerlina. Welcome to Mornings with Zerlina. I'm Zerlina Maxwell. Joining us is Democratic candidate for Secretary of State in Arizona, which is probably one of the most important positions in America in the year of our Lord 2022. Adrian Fontes is here. Thank you so much for being here. I have a lot of Thanks questions. For having me. No, happy to be here. Thank you. So we obviously we've talked over the past couple of years a few times because Arizona became really ground zero for the big lie. And you were at the center of that because you were the person responsible for the vote in the election in Maricopa County, which is the, you know, the largest county and the one where people showed up outside of the office to protest and raise a ruckus. When you think back to just the past couple of years, why do you think it was so important in this moment to run for the position of Secretary of State? Well, first of all, Maricopa County, for context, is the second largest jurisdiction in the United States behind only Los Angeles County, California. So at that time, we've gotten our voter rolls up to 2.6 million voters, uh, surpassing Harris County, the Houston area. So it was a massive undertaking. And yeah, the protests outside the office were a marked event. We actually had to have armed escorts mm-hmm. help uh, election workers back and forth from the parking lots to their offices just to keep them safe. But when duty calls, you you, you step up and, and no one else in Arizona is as qualified for this as I am. I'm, I'm an attorney, I'm a Marine Corps veteran, I'm CIRA certified, which is a certified election and registration administrator out of the election center at, at Auburn University. Um, and, and we've got to have someone who can hit the ground running on day one. We've got to have someone who is familiar with the election systems, not just in Maricopa, but in all 15 of Arizona's counties. I have that professional background, and we've got to have someone who can beat back the MAGA folks, the extremists uh, who we're running against, and we knew was going to be running. And so duty calls. Sometimes you just got to step up. There is a battle royale shaping up in Arizona. As I said, it's one of the most important states every election cycle. But this election is very special because you are running for secretary of state against Mark Fincham, who's basically the person that started the big lie in Arizona. I mean, like he's the one that like amplified the big lie in Arizona um, and, you know, caused one of the recounts in, in the initial process. And then also Carrie Lake, who's running for governor against the current Arizona secretary of state, Kitty Hobbs. Can you talk about the matchup between election deniers, people who are amplifying, spreading, repeating the big lie that the election was stolen and how important it is to push back against them, to run against them and be clear about the fact that there was no fraud in the election and that, you know, American democracy is so important to protect in this moment that it's dangerous to have these people in these positions of power. Well, look, I mean, I mean, this is a battle for, between democracy and fascism. It's, it's really that simple. And here's why I can say that. Both of the folks that you mentioned that are running against us on this side of the aisle are not just election deniers, but just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they were saying 
if we lose, it's because of fraud. Mm-hmm. If we lose, it's because something bad happened. And it's, it's literally like, I don't think they played organized sports when they were children, <laughs> right? I don't think that these folks understand the nature of American political competition and the fact that they don't get to decide. The people get to decide. That's the difference between myself and Mr. Fincham. Uh, and that's the same difference in the governor's race. But, you know, my opponent, Mr. Fincham, was actually at January 6th. He was at the insurrection. He was named by Ali Alexander as one of those folks in Arizona who helped organize that whole thing. I mean, he's thick into it. And this is the kind of person who does not want all Americans voting. He does not want anything but the result that he desires to be the possible outcome of an election. And that's just plain fascism. And that's just not an American attitude. And he's got to be defeated. And the Secretary of State, as you know, is the chief election officer in Arizona. He wants to get rid of absentee balloting, the no excuse absentee balloting by mail. 92% of Arizona's voting that way in the last general election. Mm-hmm. It's been wildly popular for decades here in this state. Uh, he wants to go back to hand counting ballots, which just in Maricopa County alone, I think one of the estimates was uh, with the number of races and the number of people we would need is, is virtually impossible to be able to meet any, any of the calendars that are required to keep things pumping, right? To keep things moving. And, and really what they present is uncertainty. And this is really important for not just for your listeners, but people in business, people in industry, people in law and medicine and education and across the board. What they represent is uncertainty. They don't want the world to operate uh, with a regular heartbeat. They just want things to go the way they want. And on a whim, it can change. And we've seen Donald Trump do that. So that's really what the battle here is. It's a it's a. It's a combination of things, but really it's it's democracy versus fascism in both of these offices. You said that a couple of times. And on this show, we just had a series, a week long series on fascism, um, because unfortunately it became relevant in America to talk to experts who normally study Europe, who now have turned their lens on the United States because of what has happened, even leading up to the insurrection, but also everything that happened that day and since. When you think about the threats of violence. You mentioned that there were people outside of the Maricopa County offices with weapons and you needed security. Is that a concern that you currently have in terms of more violence because of the unwillingness of these folks to accept valid election results? Because, you know, that is one of the things we learned about fascism here on this show. Yeah, well, look, it's not just Europe, right? We've got a hell of a lot of people here in in, in Arizona who came from Latin American countries, uh, from from Cuba to Argentina mm-hmm. to Chile, Honduras and Nicaragua, and thirty uh, something percent of our population is Latino, and they know, either the generation that they're in or before. A lot of folks here have seen this happen. They've seen this movie before, mm-hmm. right? And it's scaring the bejeebers out of people because it's real. This is real within many lifetimes that we're aware of here. Uh, it's real in family storytelling and in personal experiences. And I think Americans really need to pay close attention. Arizonans need to pay close attention to the fact that we are but human, right? American exceptionalism uh, is only exceptional because we have due process that does not fade, that does not get sacrificed on the whim of a, of a dictator. And uh, that's, that's a really, really important factor. 
in, uh, in, in where we're going and what we'd like to see happening uh, because it can go away so easily, so quickly. Unfortunately, one of the things that I've come to realize in the course of this campaign is, you know, every politician says, oh, this is the, the most important campaign. This is the most important election of our lifetimes. This could be the last election in our right. life. Yeah. I mean, this could literally be the last free and fair election that we see in the United States of America if these kinds of people with these kinds of anti-democratic attitudes get elected. And we cannot, cannot uh, miss out on the opportunity to put these folks down in big numbers, uh, bring independents over, bring Republicans over into the light and away from this tyrannical darkness that's looming over our country. You mentioned the, the Latino vote in the state of Arizona. And, and at the beginning of the conversation, you alluded to the fact that your opponent, Mark Fincham, you know, doesn't think of certain votes as really valid. And we know what that means, right? There's a reason why they were focused on certain parts of Arizona. There is a reason why they were focused on certain parts of Georgia. They're not like going out to rural Georgia and the farms and trying to do recounts there. They're going to the places where there's a concentration of the emerging demographic. Can you talk about the importance of protecting that emerging demographic and ensuring that there's integrity in elections and as the role of secretary of state, because they're younger, they're a growing group of voters who want to participate, but they're all, you know, because they're younger, it, it might be their first election. It might be their second election. And so, you know, they're new to the process, but we all have to be able to trust in it. Yeah, absolutely. These folks are these folks actually, I don't think, really care too much about whether or not these demographics or those demographics or this or that, vis-a-vis -vis power. They mm. don't care about age vis-a-vis -vis power. They don't care about socioeconomics when it comes to talking about the power that they're trying to instill and enshrine in one person. The authoritarianism will use any lever uh, to move themselves, to wrench themselves into absolute power. That being said, uh, a lot of those folks who have a lot of power uh, don't want diverse demographics because it, it, it genuinely is the struggle. This is the people versus, um, you know, a lot of folks who have, you know, the widening income gap or the widening wealth gap, right, uh, that has happened significantly since the end of, since the beginning of the rare, uh, Reagan era. Um, and, and a lot of these things don't really care what color you are. Uh, they care about, um, they care about how much money you're willing to put into their pockets. And so these are these are real parts of the, of the issue. These are real parts mm -hmm. of the story. The scary thing that has that, that, that's important here is taking and the difficult thing for, for folks like me is to take that idea of economic power struggle uh, and, and turn it into this is what the political power struggle is about. It's about taking away your voice. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that's going to make it a, a hell of a lot easier to communicate, unfortunately, uh, is the fact that so many women in America have just been relegated to second mm. class. Right. And that's just one really, really stark and clear example of if you don't vote, you cannot take any of this stuff for granted. You cannot take for granted that your state house and uh, your legislature is going to keep you and your rights preserved. In fact, it's the opposite. Mm -hmm. uh, this long-term project for these folks, their march towards fascism didn't care which dear leader was on top just that they had a dear leader on top. Unfortunately, it's the elevator guy for them now. And, and okay, fine. Um, but look, you know, this is personal for me. My 17 year old will be old enough in a couple months to vote for me on her first ballot. Mm. And I 
cannot imagine, I cannot fathom the idea that it'll be her last. These are the things that we need to make very, very clear to young people. You may not like the way the prior generations have treated the economy or the environment or your future uh, or your rights, but that doesn't mean you toss your hands up and you walk away because what are you going to walk into? Right. Where, where, where do you go? You, you don't have another planet. You don't right. have an economy <laughs> you can just jump into. You don't have another government that you can just decide, oh, well, this is what I'm going to do. Because the United States of America is the last free and fair democracy, really, that exists. I mean, they don't even have a constitution in Great Britain. Constitutional monarchy, right? You don't have the same rights you have here. They tolerate free speech over there because they're cantankerous and weird and they just love the sport of the argument. But we don't. We've got people here that don't want you to talk about your history. They don't want me to talk about my history because it might make them feel bad. And that's crazy. Right. Like, well, isn't it because Jess McIntosh, who you may you may have chatted with a previous conversation, but she always talks about the fact that when she's reading stories about the American history of slavery or Jim Crow, like she doesn't identify with the slaveholder. Why would you feel bad? I don't understand. Like, are you on the end of the Edmund Pettus Bridge blocking Martin Luther King? Or are you, you know, the priest standing next to him, the white religious figures who marched with him in the third march? Why do you feel like the assumption well, is that white people would feel bad reading this history. Yeah, maybe that person doesn't feel bad because that person isn't a racist. Mm. And that person isn't willing to subjugate other human beings to their will. Right? The people that are feeling bad because of this mythological CRT or whatever, the people that don't want history discussed, the people that just want to hide things, they genuinely want to have other people serving them. Mm they are entitled to that kind of servitude from other human beings that's why they don't want to talk about it that's why they don't want you talking about your history and me talking about my history which is a very mixed history by the way because you know my spanish ancestors were not very kind to the people who were here first right and, right indigenous america suffered a lot uh because of the folks you know whose genes i carry i'm not proud of that i'm not proud of that but it's real and I'm not going to run away from it. And part of the rest of me has some of that, a small portion. I'm not you know, claiming anything here, but a part of that mm -hmm. blood is in me too. I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a mutt just like every other American to yeah. a great. And so shying away from the bad parts means you don't learn from it, right? You've, you've heard that saying, you know, losing, losing really teaches you something. And if, mm -hmm. you, if, you don't, if you win all the time, you don't learn anything. Yep. And that's, I think, an important part of being an American, right? Admitting and knowing that you are not guaranteed a win. You are not entitled to a win. And that is where a lot of this stop the steal, Mark Fincham, I am entitled to this office. Donald Trump is entitled to be president. It is entitlement. Mm. It is epitome of entitlement because nobody else is as good. Nobody else is as smart. Nobody else is as deserving of this office and this capacity to lord over you right it's the ultimate in uh ownership complex or whatever i guess i'll coin a phrase and that's not what democracy is about right the founders were like yeah they were imperfect to be sure <laughs> unreal american tradition yeah. about this the one truly american tradition is progress beyond the narrow right mm. we've moved away from exclusivity consistently in economics in political power, 
in education. The one thing we've always done is opened up for more and more and more people. The Statue of Liberty literally stands for bring me your unwashed, filthy, dirty, messed up people who are all jacked up from where they're coming from. Let's give them opportunity, right? right? Let's, let's give them a bath and three squares and an education and freedom to pray or not. And let's, let's let the land of opportunity, let them thrive within the humanity that they bring, because that's worth it. That in and of itself, humanity is worth promoting and celebrating. And we've come away from that because of this entitlement culture of, no, you people are not as good as we are. Mm. You people don't deserve to run things. We deserve to run things. It's like the Don at the Hacienda, right? Or the, the plantation <laughs> owner thing. It's, it's that concept that I was born into superiority that's just yeah. bizarre. And it's anti-American. I mean, I think about this a lot because I think a lot about the 14th Amendment um, a lot more than most people probably do. And I think about this idea that, you know, when people are like, I'm an originalist and I'm like, I'm not because the original version didn't include me. I wasn't a person. They had to amend it to include my humanity. And I feel like our constant struggle is actually living up to that promise that is articulated there in the 14th Amendment. Well, well, allow me to push back just a smidge. Yeah, because go ahead. I, yeah. For both. I think originalism also includes the original idea that the Constitution can be amended, mm -hmm. that it was amended, that it continues to have the possibility of being amended, and that flexibility that's built into the original. The idea of progress, the idea mm -hmm. of movement, the idea of we can change for the better, for the circumstance, for the time. Amendment means we are not cast in stone. Yeah. And so from my view, an honest originalism includes mm -hmm. the idea that where we did have it wrong, as it pertains to you, for example, mm -hmm. we, can't, we can make it better. And that means we can make it better for other people too. And we ought right. to. And that right. to me, an honest originalism doesn't include just what those people back then and there said, but the fact that they also said future generations have a duty to improve this thing, and we're going to give them the mechanism through which to do that. <laughs> it respects the folks who created this experiment. It respects yeah. their struggle mm -hmm. because they did struggle. Look, mm -hmm. the Constitution didn't found the United States of America. The or organic document for this government was the Articles of Confederation. Right. They like Declaration, we're independent, Articles, here's <laughs> our new form of government. And they're like, holy mackerel, we kind of screwed that up. We don't, that's not <laughs> to say, let's fix it. And in that act, going from the Articles of Confederation to the Constitution, and then making the Constitution as open to amendment as they did, purposefully, mm -hmm. what they, they admitted was their imperfection. They admitted that they were working towards a more perfect union because while perfection is unattainable, we ought to try. That very struggle is built into the original document. So I would posit and, and I would propose to you that while you were not included in the original and that's a real flaw, the original gave room for you to eventually be included and for us to come to the realization that all of humanity is worthy of the same due process of the same protections against tyranny, yeah. same sorts of opportunities. And we did do that. We had to struggle to do it, which was certainly took way longer still, than it should have. Still going. Still going. <laughs> but it is 
still possible. And it is that possibility. It is that hope in a more perfect union that keeps me and my fealty locked in towards the flag, locked mm -hmm. in towards the Constitution. You cannot challenge my patriotism because mm -hmm. it's not patriotism of one superior uh, group over another. It's the patriotism towards the possibility of America, the hope that America has, that it will continue to move towards the more perfect union. I'm not going to sit here and say all is lost or like, why would I be running for office if that was yeah. Well, I mean, why are you running for office now? I mean, everyone at this point, I feel like with my friends, just to be completely candid, you know, we I, at some point in this pandemic years period, um, we've had the conversation of like, should we just move to the woods? Like, maybe we should just move to the woods together. It would be fun. You know, I think they have Amazon delivery, so it would be fine. Um, and, you know, you sort of can just go and escape the mess that is America right now in terms of just our political um, dialogue, the hyper partisanship and extremism. Um, but why do you choose to run now and, and say, no, I'm going to stay and try to be part of the solution? Because because I'm not a chicken shit that's going to surrender when things get a little dark. Because like I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Right. I'm not. I, it's never crossed my mind to go anywhere else. Respectfully, I say to mm -hmm. you, and it never be yours. You stand and you fight. Mm -hmm. because this government and this constitution has given us the capacity to open and include more people. Think about all the folks. Think about this. Our constitution is the single oldest standing form of government in the world today. There is no constitution that predates ours. There is no government that predates this form of government in existence today. Not one. Anywhere on the planet. And we and everybody else has tried to come close to looking what our constitution looks like. Why? because of the potential good, because of the opportunity, because of the individual rights and guarantees and liberties that it should be standing for, why wouldn't that be worth fighting for? Why in the world would you run away from a battle against the tyranny that hates the idea that we allow, quote unquote, people like you and people like me mm -hmm. to be involved? Of course we stand and fight for that. It's unacceptable in my mind for anyone. And I'll tell you what, I know that there's a lot of, uh, you got a lot of left-leaning listeners. Mm -hmm. I will say this, any single one of you out there thinks for one second that it might be better somewhere else, you don't know what the hell you're talking about and you're not paying attention. It's not better anywhere else. Materially, they might be this little comfort and that little comfort that's better, but we have the fundamental structure to create the greatest society that the entire planet has ever seen. The technological innovation, the economic innovation, mm -hmm. the capacity that we have to feed every single person. The choice is different, but the capacity exists to educate every single person. The capacity exists. We make other choices. This place is the place to be. And the mm -hmm. United States of America is worth fighting for. And I'm, I'm, I'm almost embarrassed because I know there's a lot of people on my side of the political aisle who have the same sentiment that you just expressed. And, and my question is, where the hell are you going to go? I don't know. I was like, you know, because that, well, that's why I said the woods, you there know, like in the middle of nowhere. No, there ain't nowhere to go. And there is no middle of nowhere. Anywhere. I know, I know, I know. It doesn't exist. So, <laughs> so to me, it's wasted energy. It's 100% wasted energy. Every single day that someone's daydreaming about, oh, I'd rather be in Canada is a day that they're <laughs> knocking on doors they're not making mm. calls for candidates they're not out there trying to raise money they're not out there raising hell 
against this rising fascism and the fascists aren't stopping. They're not talking about going anywhere. They're not talking about leaving. Right. That means they're winning. You're not being the French resistance. You're not being the heroes of the American Revolution. You're not being any of that if it is the slightest possibility in your mind that you would surrender this country to those fascists. You cannot be in that space. And every single bit of resistance across the country that rose up in 2016 after Donald Trump got, got elected, all of the indivisible groups, all of those people mm -hmm. rose up because, you know, my political party, God bless them, didn't have an answer. And so the American people on the political left rose up because they recognized what kind of a mm -hmm. monster Trump was. And kudos to them and more power to them. And, and look, I'm not I'm getting a little hot here because I don't like and, and I will. Again, you're the host of the show here, but I'm going to respectfully disagree with you. There oh, no, it's OK. I'm just saying, like we do. I, I'm talking about I'm being completely candid about the fact that over the course of the pandemic years, I have had a conversation with several of my friends. Um, do we want to move to the woods? Mo mainly because, you know, there's less covid there. You know, if you're away from all these human beings, that's really what we're like. Now there's monkeypox. There's a second pandemic. We were like, you know, maybe there's, I need to just move to a no, cabin. I, no not <laughs> I mean, you're, that, that's the same kind of thing. Look, is it, is it laughable? <laughs> Elon Musk thinks he's going to go to Mars. Well, uh, you know, I, that's why I'm sort of saying it while I'm laughing, because I'm not going to the woods. My family doesn't live there. And there's no, so I, no, no Uber so Eats. You know what I mean? So here's what I would <laughs> take. Take the talk mm -hmm. of. And, 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 and I get it. There's, there's always time for humor. Take that energy and pour it into asking people why they're not getting engaged and involved, why they're mm -hmm. not finding candidates in, in their home states or across the country that they want to back up and push for and do postcards for and do phone calls for and engage all those people out there who are not politically engaged. Because you know as well as I do mm -hmm. that if, 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 if people of color and young people would get off their dead asses and vote, we would not be here. It's we true. would not at all. So all these folks that are that 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 that, that have in their mind the slightest excuse to not, mm -hmm. right? The possibility, oh, if it gets that bad, I'm going to Canada, I'm going to Mexico, I'm going to friggin' Indonesia, wherever. I don't care. That's not that's not here, and it's not where the fight is. We need to do every single thing that we can every single day. Stop talking about moving to the woods. Talk about talk about calling folks and getting more people registered. Yeah. Stop talking about, oh, I might go to a different country or I wish it wasn't so bad. You can wring your hands all day long, but those hands would be much better served creating the tools of democracy and employing those tools mm -hmm. like postcards, like the phone calls, like the door knocking. That is what we should be doing and discussing. Yeah, that's the kind of militancy in the defense of this democracy that we need. And and. And when I say militancy, I don't mean with arms. I mean, we need to crush them with the very system that they want to destroy. Mm -hmm. We need to turn out in massive numbers across the United States of America and, 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 and crush this totalitarian theme that, that they've built. And, mm -hmm. and that's the message that I want. Obviously, I get to tell you what to say, right? That's the message that I want. That's the message that I want folks like you with a voice to share yeah because we don't have another united states of america and we don't need one we've already got one 
but we only get the one that we deserve. We only get the one that we work towards. Mm -hmm. We're not entitled to be peaceful. We must work for it. We're not entitled to have all of these other things, right? We are not the entitled ones. Americans should never, never rest on their laurels. Right, right. Is always worth fighting for. So uh, uh, apologies for the tangent, but uh, for some reason you you, you found the trigger. uh, (laughs) Well, no, I mean, it's appropriate for this channel because this channel is progress and this channel is the people that are doing the postcards. They are doing the door knocking. Um, And I was a field organizer. That was my first job in politics. So I'm always um, encouraging um, that kind of engagement. and yes, I have had that moment of weakness in the pandemic where I'm like, I don't know, y'all. Um, but every day I do try to emphasize that people should try to get engaged in any way that they can. Um, Adrian Fontes running for secretary of state in Arizona, one of the most important races in the entire election, which may be the last one, but hopefully not, because we're all going to participate and engage in protecting and saving the democracy. Uh, thank you so much for being here today. It was great to have you. Thank you so much for letting me lecture you. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I'm a good listener. I just listen. You, you, you know what I mean? All right. You are, and I appreciate it. And it's, and it's, it's really <laughs> a pleasure to talk to you. I know this Thank is you. Uh, not, not our first uh, go around, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, good to get, it, it's good to get the perspective and the questions from you. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Zerlinette Check-In for new episodes every weekday.